Do you ever catch yourself wishing you didn't have to stay positive? Or maybe you've been working on keeping a positive mindset for years, but it still feels like a daily battle sometimes. Having a chronic illness means you're being told to stay positive all the time. And let's be honest, it's exhausting. Because pushing ourselves to stay positive is not actually positive. There's a much easier way to get a strong, positive mindset and all of the feel-good perks that come with it without the pressure of looking on the bright side. Check out my free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset. In it, I give the straight scoop on strategies that work and common strategies that are a waste of time and energy. Go to andreahansencoaching.com now or use the link in this podcast description and get your free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset, today. Today, I'm bringing something a little different to the podcast. Mindy Wilson is a mother and caregiver to her young child who has suffered from severe pediatric migraines since the age of four. I think Mindy is perfect to talk to because her perspective is not from having an illness herself, but living with a chronic illness of someone that she loves very much. One of the most common things I hear from people with a chronic illness is the concern that they have for their parents, their partners, their friends, and other people that they ask for help. There's the worry that they're asking too much or that they're being a burden, especially when the other person doesn't have an illness themselves and may not quite understand. I thought it would be helpful to hear from someone that can tell you what the caregiver is thinking and can give a bit of a reassurance that you're helping the other person as well as you simply by asking for help. Mindy is also an advocate for children with a chronic illness and helping their caregivers create an environment where the children learn courage and know that being different is normal. This is Mindy's first podcast interview, and her big heart is undeniable. She's honest, open, and vulnerable telling her story. We can all use a little dose of Mindy Wilson telling us how wonderful we are. Talking with her gave me the warm fuzzies, and I hope it will for you too. Please enjoy this week's episode and visit andreahansencoaching.com for more on Mindy Wilson, resources we talk about in the show, and transcripts from today's episode. Welcome to the Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis podcast. I'm Andrea Hansen, author, motivational speaker, and master certified coach. When I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, I was told I would never reach my goals, but I did. And I'm on a mission to prove that life with a chronic illness can still be expansive and quite remarkable. Everyone has their own unique path. I'm talking to people living with a chronic illness that come from different backgrounds, have different points of view, and are achieving amazing life goals of all kinds to inspire you to achieve what you thought was impossible. These stories are raw, uncensored, and judgment-free. This means that there may be some adult language, sensitive topics, and possible triggers for listeners. Listener discretion is advised. I am here today with Mindy Wilson. Mindy is a mother to three. She wears many hats as a mother, student, paraeducator, author, and inspirational speaker. Her passion in life is to help families find freedom within a chronic illness and advocate for children. Her journey with her child that has suffered with pediatric migraines since the age of four started seven years ago. Mindy will not forget the day when her daughter was diagnosed after many tests and feeling so lost and scared as a parent. Through trial and error, they learn together, 
Mindy wrote her children's book called Jane Leaps Through Headaches to support families, educate, and most importantly, show kids with courage anything is possible. Mindy Wilson, how are you? Welcome to Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm good. I'm so glad you're here. I love I so much to talk to you about, so much to unpack. I'm really excited to have you here offering your perspective to our listeners because I think it's so it's so needed. What I'd love about you and what really made me want to talk with you is the fact that we have similar purposes. We have similar passions in that we both want to help people with chronic illness realize that they can still do anything. They can still go after their dreams. They can still go after their passions. They can still move through life and they don't have to to think that their dreams are over because they have this chronic illness. And I love that you advocate for this. I think you hit it on the head. And I think the biggest thing is they don't have to, they can see that the world doesn't have to shrink. Like they can still do everything else that anyone else can do, maybe just in a different way. They might have to tweak things, yeah. but there's still possibilities. There's absolutely tweaking because we all have our unique situations and our unique pathways and different hurdles to get over, but so does everybody. Yeah. If my daughter has like a really down day, that's what I try and tell her. Like we all have something you, you can't always see it, but mm-hmm. like that other child walking through your school, like they're probably going through something too, but you just don't know it. Writing your story, especially a story that's so close to your heart and putting it out there in the world, that takes huge courage in itself. So tell me a little bit about what made you take that step to write your book and become an advocate. I had an opportunity really come along with a publisher and I pitched um, my story and it was like I love it and then I started talking to other people other parents and they were like go oh, like that's that's a really good idea it just kind of slowly came along and an opportunity came and I snatched it up I was like okay I don't know what this story is but um I know me and my daughter's story so I can definitely give you that perspective from our story and yeah and it also was something I wanted to share too because I remember feeling so alone that for when she was diagnosed and if there would have been a book for me to read to her or for me to read and not feel so alone like that would have helped so much at the beginning. I think you hit it on that on the head there's a lot of things to research and read for the adult that's diagnosed or going through a diagnosis but to have something to read to your child your young child that's going through this i think is invaluable yeah because i know a lot of the books when i first started writing uh, my children's book like i researched other books and a lot of the books on migraines are adult and they have a lot of big scientific words and that that kids aren't going to understand. I mean, you can read it as a parent, but the child is still trying to understand just what it is in general. I didn't find a children's book really out there that I felt encompassed the kid's perspective, the parent's perspective, and proof that you could do like a sport. In the book, Jane is 
trying out for gymnastics. Yep. Which is, that's a, that's a big thing. I'm not a gymnast. Me neither. This is when my daughter so, takes it. <laughs> to me, that sounds like huge, a huge, huge thing. So talk to me about when she was diagnosed. Was that hard to get a diagnosis with such a young child? Did you did you have to wait for a while? What was that like? It was hard and I'll, I'll try and make this short. But I but I do remember the day she was four and just she started she she wasn't quite in preschool yet, so it was the summer before she went to preschool. Yeah. And she like everything was going fine and then Halfway into the day, she just started like puking her guts out. <laughs> like you can say puking her guts out on here, okay? <laughs> and screaming like in terrible pain, and I was like, oh, like I don't know what this is. Like I have older kids, but I've never experienced like this before. And so I rushed her to the just family pediatrician, uh, and they were like, like we have no idea what's happening. So I'm like, well, that doesn't help. So they sent me up to our hometown to the University Children's Hospital and they did scans and I think she had like five tests like just to try and figure it out and they were like well her brain looks fine everything looks fine and that's where I realized a little tiny bit like I gotta advocate a little bit because she's obviously not fine (laughs) like and so we went back to the pediatrician and they like went over the results and then I I really owe it to the doctor's assistant because guy was in tears and I was like I don't know what to do like someone give me answers or something and she was like you know what all the symptoms I had as a child with uh migraine so I wonder if it's that so between like the test coming back fine and getting in touch with the neurologist I kind of went into mom mode and searched a little bit to see if the assistants, like what she was saying to me, symptoms added up with what my child was experiencing. So that's kind of how it started. And so talk a little bit about your daughter's diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So migraines and headaches are tricky because they don't really diagnose them. I think, I think it took them like a year or two where they were like, okay, like this is this is probably it. And that was after like talking to neurologists and doing their own test and talking to him for a little bit. So I, I want to say it was probably like a year after, mm-hmm. but in my mom mind and my research that I did on this side, it was like, well, this, a lot of it lines up. Yeah. That's a lot of, of how it works is that we have, especially through the research that's available right now, a lot of times you kind of are leaning towards this hunch of like, I think it's this. Mm-hmm. And then the doctors kind of are behind us. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, well, yeah. hold on, let's do tests. Yeah. And then they, they come across with a diagnosis too. I mean, like it was a hard, it was a hard diagnosis to get. And I, I do remember thinking and looking at my daughter, she was four, almost five at the time. Like she had no clue what was going on and inside as a mom I was like well what does this mean like do I have to wrap her in a bubble and she can't do anything and this is where my passion comes out I think all parents start out like that like do I just not let them live life and like try and protect them the best I can so it 
it, like I was, I was terrified the first two, two years. I, I was, and I didn't have like a roadmap. I didn't have any other like family or anybody like on the outside world of this diagnosis that I knew to kind of help me through that. So tell me what that was like, because I know when a parent has a child that has an illness, there's a grieving because your idea of what you thought your child's life was going to be like is now completely different. Just like when someone with a chronic illness is is diagnosed or at that moment, they realize that their life is no longer going to be the same. A little like looking back, I, I mean, I think the first two years was like kind of in denial and like, oh, it's not that big of a deal until the really bad days came of having to take her to the hospital to get an IV to, to stop it. But I wanted my child just to live like in every ordinary child's life. Like I didn't want her to struggle more than she had to. So me grieving the process was I had to slowly like learn to let go and be like, okay. I, I can't take this. I can't take it away from her. I can't fix it. So we're going to be sad for a little bit, but slowly I I just learned tricks along the way and started to let her do stuff. The picture of her not having a troubled childhood and just being able to do whatever. I had to come with the realization that that's, that's not going to happen. You say you had to learn tricks. What tricks did you learn? We found oils along the way. The the biggest thing that I was skeptical of was chiropractic care. I started her on that when she was five, and she's been going every month since then. And ibuprofen, like when you get a diagnosis, they gave her medicine to take overnight. But anybody that has a chronic illness will probably say, like, it doesn't always help or take the pain away. Like, I think we all have to find other avenues that might help even though it's not directly from the doctor. So ibuprofen was a big one for her to this day. She's still, she'll go to ibuprofen over anything else. And oils, peppermint oil, lavender, aromatherapy. I found that they have roll-on ones that you can just roll on their forehead or you can roll under under their nose and just let them smell it. So they kind of can smell it as it's happening. They also do have bracelets for little kids too that I found are awesome. You can just pour the oil like into it and it will last for like six hours and they can smell it. Is that her unicorn bracelet in the book? It is, yes. <laughs> yep. So I love that it's in a unicorn bracelet for I want I'm like, I want a unicorn bracelet. <laughs> <laughs> right. They have some cute ones for little kids so it doesn't make them feel so like out of place at school and stuff. So as you learned these tricks and learned how to deal with, I guess, the symptoms of Mm -hmm. the migraines, was that something that allowed you to feel like you could process, okay, she's got this? Yeah, and I think it didn't happen all at once. Like every year, I want to say I got a little newfound confidence. I was like, oh, like... That's helping this time. I do want to say this stuff doesn't help all the time. Really, each parent and child, they like they have to find their own kind of rhythm. What may work for someone else is not going to work for like the next person because their bodies are so different. So it was, it was a lot of trial and error. 
And I think every year if I found something like, oh, like, okay, like we can get through this. But like I said, like we still have really bad days. And with migraines, sometimes they can be abdominal. So it will cause a lot of puking for like, it can be like six hours straight. So there's, there's kind of different levels of it. With my daughter, there's days that she can just sleep for a couple hours, take ibuprofen and she can wake up and she'll be off to go into gymnastics. There's some days where she will lay there and uh, vomit a few times and be super frustrated and be like, why is this happening to me? And, and that's hard because I, I cry with her a lot because I don't know. It's just one of those things in life like you have to, you have to get through it. As a caregiver, what tools do you use for you to get through those harder days? Breathing. Like that's always good sometimes. Look, never underestimate breathing. Right. We get so <laughs> warped up into like just caring for them that we, I think we forget to like step back for a minute after they're okay and on the mend. I think it's the best way to put it. A lot of mindfulness. I, I try and remind myself, like, she's looking at me for courage, too. She's looking at me to to figure this out with her and to help guide her. And we're learning together. Like, I don't have all the answers, but it's a journey that we take on together. And just self-care. Like, you really have to take time for yourself because it's hard and it's stressful. And if it goes on for six to 12 hours and the night ends with leaving the ER then the next day I try and do something for myself whether it be read or like a bubble bath or to write because I do love writing that kind of helps release some emotions to get out whatever 10 minutes you can get in and to decompress I find helpful and I think, especially from that caregiver point of view, and I really, I mean, I really actually think for everybody, there are tools that we have that we gather as we go, as we figure out what our yeah. path is and what works for us and maybe what doesn't work for us. And so we have this huge, you know, toolbox. Yeah. And my toolbox was super tiny. Like right when she was four, now I can say I have a pretty good toolbox. It's definitely grown a lot since when she was four. I think I wanted all the answers and I wanted someone to give me like a pretty little wrapped up box. But I learned really quick that that's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> As a caregiver, how do you look for support? for yourself in this role? Yeah, good question. I have a lot of good family members that are there to support. If it's been a long day, they'll be like, well, watch your kids. You you go do something like that was a rough day or a rough night. That's her. And support groups are always a really good thing to invest in. There's like, there's a lot of good support people that have stepped up being friends, family that have kind of helped me care for me. Like after when I was a hot mess, after she goes to the ER, we just have a really bad day and it's frustrating. 
Yeah. Do you find it is hard to ask for that help? Yeah, it was hard. And I think it depends on who you are. I'm a person that doesn't love to ask for help. I'm a mom. I, like, I can do it all. It's fine. I got it. <laughs> right. Type of personality. But I've also learned that like, it's so much better to ask for help. So I I do. I will call up a family member and just be like, yeah, I'm tired. Like, I, I, I need help or I need help to watch my other kids while I get her to the ER and or I need some sleep, like stuff like that. So it's become easier. I'm not going to say like it's super easy, but it's definitely become easier because I know now that I can't, I can't do it on my own. It's, it really does take a village when you have someone with a chronic illness to, to be able to pull on when you need them. Yeah. I think it takes a lot of courage to ask for help. I know for me, I was never one to ask for help. I had everything figured out. I've always, I was born with everything figured out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's humbling to ask mm -hmm. for help because you don't know, even if you know you're going to get help, like you're asking someone that's going to give it to you, you're not entirely sure. Like, there's this, at least for me, there's this voice in the back of my head of like, what do they think? What are they yeah. thinking about why I need this help? What are they thinking yeah. about what's going on? And and so I found that not only asking for help was a really brave step to take, but also knowing how to ask for help. I learned yeah. that there was a way to ask for help that's a lot more constructive. Yeah. And I think we're kind of still uh, figuring that out. Me and my daughter... Because she also doesn't love to ask for help, but she's kind of had to learn, oh, like, sometimes I really need to ask for help. Like, I need to raise my hand and be like, I, I need to go call my mom and get some medicine um, and kind of take that initiative. But it's it's scary to ask for help. And I've, I've seen it with her a lot. She, she doesn't want to feel different. She doesn't want to, like, burden anybody. Um, so that's a process. And I, I think we're still in the middle of that. I think there's something really loving about the fact that you are so open to the fact that you're still learning and your daughter is still learning and you're still learning together. It's a very vulnerable place to be because I think a lot of, a lot of parents, a lot of caregivers feel like they're the ones that are taking charge. They're the ones that are getting the answers. They're the ones that have the answers. They can do it, all the things. Yeah. And to be yeah. able to step back and say, I'm still figuring this out. And my daughter knows that I'm still figuring this out and we're doing it together. I think that's, it's a very loving place to be. Well, thank you. Yeah. No, it definitely, um, it, it takes effort on your part as a parent, but grace comes to mind. The word grace, you give, give yourself a, a little bit of grace in that space. And I think, I think if I were to, portray to my daughter like I know how this is gonna go and then and I know everything to do for you at some point she'll probably look at me and be like uh come on mom like she would probably catch on like it's it's good to feel confident but also know that it's okay to not know what you're doing like it's okay to learn and I think 
children are capable of understanding things a little bit more than we give them credit for. And I feel like with a chronic illness, I feel like she's had a better experience going through it with me and not being like, I'm going to tell you what to do. Like, they know we're going to learn this together because I need your help and you need my help. So it's a team effort. I think it's also probably a way to empower your daughter. Yeah. And I think that's what's gymnastics too. I don't think she wouldn't have been empowered to be okay to go with this for if we didn't do this together. How do you do that? So in gymnastics, mm-hmm. you're upside down, you're flipping around, you're doing all of these things. How is it that you you handle your own emotions and you handle supporting her when you're probably worried about, is she going to get a migraine? Is she going to, what's yeah, going to happen? No, listen, I... Like I'm, I'm terrified. It's the anxiety has gone down a little bit because it's been eight years, but I'm still terrified when she does her swing on the uneven bars and she goes upside down like that split second. I'm like, well, what happens? My mind still will go to that if she, like if it comes on quick, like I think I've just grown in confidence that, that she's a tough cookie and with all the pain that comes with headaches and migraines, like she, she will probably land it. Maybe not the best way, but like she won't break anything. I'm sure (laughs) like she'll figure out a way to, to get through it in that moment. Yeah. And I, I do think that, you know, when it comes to chronic illness, and I say this all the time, there is that initial trauma, that initial grief that needs to be processed. And then when we move through that, and I've seen it so many times, and I think it's a really amazing thing, you can start to really own the fact that having a chronic illness makes you a tough cookie. Yeah. Like you said, right? It it develops you into someone who can handle a lot of really tough things quite often before you're ready to yeah. deal with it. No, true. Because I... I can tell you that she was not ready for like that day when it came upon us and the pain she experienced, like she, like she was not ready. I was not ready. So it is a process. And I think we all need to be kinder to ourselves, whether it's the child going through the chronic illness or the parent trying to figure it out and process the trauma. And there's still times Right. When she does gymnastics, like that trauma will come back and I'll be like, oh, oh no, like that, that will also have flashbacks to like the hard times that I have with her. When we go to the ER, that's, that's traumatizing for both of us. It kind of brings back the reality of, oh, like you do have a chronic illness and this is going to be part of your life. It makes the caregiver a tough thing too. Yeah. It's kind of a running joke with me and her. I'm like, you realize, like, I I wouldn't be this tough if it wasn't for all, like, the medical stuff that I've gone through with you. And it's also bonded us super close. Like, we have a very good relationship because, like, we we both had to be tough cookies and we both have had to figure it out. And there's days where we're not, listen, where we're not tough cookies. And I, like, cry in my pillow. And I'm like, why? There's days where she just cries and like hates it and like screams and like pours out her soul to me and 
asked me why. So, but you know what? That's what a tough cookie does too. I I get it. I'm a mindset coach. I love mindset, but that's not the only thing at play, right? Mm -hmm. We have emotions, and emotions are very, very important. And I think that for a lot of people, and I was like this. I didn't know how to process emotions until after I was diagnosed and I realized that it was a very important thing. Yeah. And I think that processing emotions can be very hard for people, especially in the beginning, especially if you're not used to it. So I think, I think crying into your pillow and screaming and being angry and talking about it and being vulnerable, I think that's all part of the tough cookie lifestyle. Yeah, no, it's (laughs) probably part of the ingredient. This is true. (laughs) So talk about that. How do you, so you have two other kids. I do. So how do you handle this with the rest of your family? How do you bring them in? How do you teach them? What tools are you giving them to yeah. also work with a family member? So it's it's been interesting because she's the oldest. She has two younger brothers. So they have kind of grown up like watching how that world works a little bit. I think I'm I'm open with them. I'm not, I don't, I don't just say, well, she's just having a bad day. Like she's having a migraine episode. You're going to, you're going to have to be a little quiet and try and explain to them kind of at their level. The eight-year-old, I can explain a little bit more like kind of what's going on maybe in her brain a little bit. But the four-year-old, I just have to be like sister has to sleep. And the kind of the fun thing about it is now if they know she gets a headache and she starts like crying and they can kind of sense it in her face both of them will usually bring a bowl to her if I can't if I'm not there to do it right away and be like here you go in case you need it so they just have kind of grown up like seeing it like and I'm never sheltered them I don't hide any of it from them you're raising to sons to be in a world where people have chronic illness and this is what it means and this is you're modeling how this is how we feel about it this is how we handle it yeah no because in the in the future i mean they're they're gonna they're gonna come across people that have a chronic illness and them to be loving and understanding and also realize that you can't always see something but it doesn't mean that like that person isn't going through hard stuff or pain and to to be there to help them because they're like they're human too they they just everyone just wants the same in life like we all just want to be happy normal in quotations exactly so i don't shield them from things like i i want them to see that it's out there and and that's okay is that the same type of stuff that you talk about when you go and speak to other parents or schools yeah i haven't done a lot of speaking but at the schools too and my children's book is um at the school that i work at and it and it gets read around by the counselor to just show inclusion and awareness they're still the same kids like like you they they just have to tweak their life a little bit Mm -hmm. but that's that's one of the biggest things um I talk to them about because because it can be lonely. So I want I want kids and families with chronic illness to not feel so lonely. 
as your daughter is getting older, Mm because she's 12. She is 12, yeah. So is she is she feeling more comfortable talking to people or people feeling more comfortable coming to her? What does that communication look like? She, she's getting better. Like it's, it's still a process. She's not 100% there, but she is getting better at talking to the teachers and communicating when her head hurts and when she needs to just stop and, and leave school. And I think the older she gets, the teachers are more understanding. Um, With communication, I think that's the important part comes in with the parents and if your child's in school is to just have that open communication. I think that has helped her understand like, oh yeah, like I do have a voice and I can, I can ask for help or I can say I need to go get a drink, that kind of thing. Because I try to be open with them and in return, they're more open when I talk about it and don't put it as kind of like a stigma, I think, that you can get with a chronic illness. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think that's great. It's that modeling. It's a life lesson. It's all about showing people how to treat you. Yeah. No, modeling is the right word. Yeah. Modeling is huge and it can be scary at first. I mean, I was, oh, yeah. I was terrified, but now I've, I've kind of gone in the rhythm, like, modeling is not only helping people around her it's helping me it's helped others that don't know a whole lot about it and it's ultimately i think showing her to not be ashamed of it and it's just part of who you are yeah and i think it's something again i think the part of what chronic illness can give us besides a lot of stuff that we just don't want. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it can give us an opportunity to learn how to show people to treat us. And it's not just in terms of our chronic illness and our needs. It's, I mean, moving forward, it's growing up in life. It's in, you know, with your own family or your own relationships or your own career or the other people that you come in contact with. It's something that you learn that you can apply to every single area of your life yeah no i mean and she's gonna get older so right i think about that as a parent when when she goes to get a job or going through college or school and that kind of thing it it will affect every part of your life so modeling is huge and i think that's what i want to do for her most because i can't i i can't feel her pain i don't have headaches i don't have migraines so i can't feel what she's feeling in those moments i'm not i'm not her so the best i think i can do right now is to model and be proactive and be an advocate i think that's such a good example because a lot of times when we do have you know loved ones their caregivers or just relationships with people Mm -hmm. in your life they don't know what you're going through They don't know what pain you're in or, you know, again, I bring it back to the invisible illness. Mm -hmm. I know for me, when I, especially in the first years after I was diagnosed, I remember thinking that people would say things like, oh, you look great. And they would 
just kind of treat me like I was fine. And I'm like, you have no idea if yeah. I can see you with both my eyes right now. You have no clue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you have no idea if I have like maybe one more hour of energy and then I'm going to be like in bed. And and we've gotten that a lot too, especially in the beginning, but the, the support and the people that know her and have been a big part of our life kind of learned with us. But in the beginning, yeah, I've had people say that exact same thing to her like oh she looks fine i'm like oh but you have no idea no idea on a scale yeah. from one to ten um what her brain is actually feeling right now what her body is like reacting to like you you can't see it right and it's tough because there's this moment and i don't know if uh, you know if if your daughter has felt this or if you have felt this but there's this moment where you're you need to say something. You need to abdicate for yourself. You need to model how to treat yourself you, or any one of those things. And you're talking to someone who initially just doesn't understand because they're looking at you. And as far yeah, as they can that tell, look. Yeah. you're totally fine. And yeah. you have to uh, almost tell them, like, don't believe what you're seeing. Believe what I'm yeah. saying. And that's a really hard thing that, to come up and tell people. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever gone into, like, like the big great story of her chronic illness with anybody. I don't do the bare minimum, but I can tell when they get that glazed over face. So I'm just going to give you the, the basics. A lot of it, I have to do it when we go into the ER with the IV stuff they give her to be like, this, this is what you need to give her. This is from a neurologist. And this is what you need to put in her and turn the lights down. She... She may not look like it's bugging her or she'll be the child that's going to be like, no, I'm fine. Like, I'll suck it up. On the inside, I know her eyes are not yeah. happy. So turn the lights down, that kind of thing. A lot of people that I speak with that have a chronic illness will express to me that they are worried about being a burden, especially if they have a parent that they're leaning on or a spouse or family or a friend or they know they have boundaries that they have to put up because mm -hmm. they know it's going to be a situation where people are going to treat them like it's it's totally normal and they have to yeah. raise their hand and say no wait i need this to be different in order for me to join you because i have you know not as much energy as you or i need this yeah. to be in place because i can't you know, loud noises are hurtful. And so they feel like they're too much. They feel like they're a burden. So as a caregiver, mm -hmm. what would you say to people who worry that they're a burden on their loved ones because they have a chronic illness? Um, this, this, is, this question is going to bring me to tears. Know, know that you're not a burden. It, it takes a strong person to be a caregiver too. But it also takes a strong person to like raise your hand and be like, I need this done so I could feel better in this environment. What I've seen is as a friend of somebody who has a chronic illness, as you know, because I, one of my dear friends has a chronic illness, it's, it, it's an act of love to be able to give them what they need or yeah. to, honor their boundaries or what it is that they um require in that moment yeah. whatever it is when someone's helping you it's like i i think you have to know it's out of 
it's out of love. Yeah. And by letting them help you, it also helps educate, I think, and teach the others around you. And it kind of, I feel like it can kind of open up a world and people will be able to talk about it more and kind of understand. So yeah, let, let them love on you. I think it's the biggest thing. Let them, like, it may feel like that on the inside. Like, I know it can feel like that. I've, I've seen it in my daughter. Yeah. She was like, no, I don't want you to help me. I just couldn't do it on my own. I had to be like, no, but I want to help you. Like, like you're not burdening me. Like, let me help you. Cause then I'm, I'm learning. And when I go talk to people, like I can share that. Um, Let them love on you because that feels good to be able to love on a person. We all know what it's like to love on a person mm -hmm. and it feels really, really good inside. Yeah. It's, it's about being vulnerable, I think. And and not caring so much um, about what you think others are going to think, because that's probably not what they're not what they're thinking. Yeah. Well, Mindy, thank you so much for giving your time talking to those of us who are wondering what is it like for a parent with a child with chronic illness, or for the caregiver with a child of a chronic illness. I think. You have really opened up that world to let people know. I think, you know, where we ended was, was the perfect place of caregivers want to love on you. Yeah. Let them love on you because yeah. it fills them up as well. And it can be such a great relationship to learning and understanding and educating and creating a world, raising children and creating a world where chronic illness isn't, doesn't have such a stigma and is more accepted in whatever, yeah. whatever form it takes, yeah. whatever it looks like. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's hard being a caregiver. It's exhausting. Um, there's bad and there's good days, but like it's, it's so rewarding too, to, to see that person, child or adult realize that like they they can go on and they can live a still productive life you just had to tweak it yeah you just have to get used to doing things a little bit differently which again a lot of people do yeah for sure well mindy thank you so much for coming well no thank you for having me it it was uh great to talk about thank you for tuning into this episode of live your life not your diagnosis if you like the show, don't be shy. Please give us a five-star rating and review. Follow us on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening right now. To see complete show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit andreahansencoaching.com. Thank you for joining me. And until next time, take care.